everybody, welcome to the third episode of Hotels 101, a podcast that is focused on hospitality, travel, and leisure. And we do that by diving into the lives of the leaders that run these businesses uh, every day. My name is Rob Hayes, I'm your host, I'm president and CEO of Ashford Hospitality Trust, a hotel ownership company based here in Dallas, Texas that owes, owns about 100 hotels all across the United States. And so with me here today is a great guest, Richard Stockton, the president and CEO of Braemar's Hotels and Resorts. Uh, but he's a luxury hotel guy. I mean, you're kind of a luxury hotelier. That's right, yeah. The I mean, best of hoteliers. <laughs> it's the, <laughs> the best kind are the luxury hoteliers. So uh, so thanks for coming. You're Thank you. our third episode. Thank and uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about Braemar? Okay. It, uh, it's you know, because it, it's a little bit different than what we do at Ashford Trust. We're a little bit more business travel hotels, but you guys are very focused. So tell us what That's you do. That's right. I joined Braemar, let's see, six and a half years ago at a time when it was called Ashford Hospitality Prime. And the first thing the board asked me to do was come up with a new strategy for the company. And so I did some research, visited all the properties we owned. At that time, it was 11. I met with all top 20 shareholders. <clears throat> and the research I did concluded that the fastest growing segment in the hotel space was actually the luxury hotel space. And the luxury uh, hotels are more difficult to build, takes more time, takes more money, and can only be built in certain locations. So there's finite locations, which uh, means that over time, they can grow their revenue faster because of the barriers to entry versus other hotels. And so we kind of pivoted the company to focus on luxury hotel ownership. And at the time, uh, we designated four hotels as non-core, and we ended up selling two of those and then upbranding two of those through a $50 million renovation program. And then went on an acquisition path over the last kind of six and a half years to buy seven new hotels, and they were all luxury hotels. So now, sitting here today, Braemar is a luxury hotel owner. It's structured as a real estate investment trust, uh, which means that uh, it's tax exempt and publicly traded on the New York Stock Exchange. And you all are, are really the only one that's focused exclusively on luxury. Is that right? Yeah, once upon a time, there was another company that had that strategy. They were since uh, taken private. Uh, they're very attractive portfolio of assets that they had. And we have a likewise very portfolio, a very attractive portfolio of uh, 16 hotels, luxury hotels primarily. And uh, we have the highest revenue per available room, RevPAR, we call it. And that's a, uh, another, it's a quantitative measure of quality. And so we have the highest RevPAR of any of the lodging REITs that are listed. There's about 15. And uh, therefore, we have the highest quality portfolio in the publicly traded markets. Gotcha. Well, that's great. So let's roll back a little bit. So tell me, uh, Tell me how you kind of got into this business. So give, give us the, the Richard Stockton story. Okay. Where, where, where was little, little Richard Stockton growing up and, and how did yeah. he end up in the hotel business? It's very topical, Rob, because um, Rob likes to make little jabs at me. <laughs> and uh, one of his jabs was that I'm not a good cook. <clears throat> little did he know that as a high school student in Flemington, New Jersey, I got my first job as a dishwasher in a restaurant and uh, got to have an interest in what the cooks were doing. And then they ultimately promoted me to cook. <laughs> so I was a cook in a restaurant in high school, working full time, 40 hours a week. I would you know, go to school three o'clock, I'd be in the restaurant until you know, 11 midnight. 
And uh, that kind of developed this interest in the hospitality industry. And I ultimately started a catering business that uh, I had as a high schooler uh, with the head chef there. And uh, that led me to apply to the Cornell Hotel School. And uh, they, uh, I didn't know if I wanted to do food and beverage. I thought maybe I wanted to be a general manager of a resort and sit on the beach all day. Uh, right, because that's what the general managers do. <laughs> <laughs> now I know they don't do that at all. <laughs> they don't. All they do is they answer guest complaints all day is what they do. Uh, but <laughs> uh, So I went to the Cornell Hotel School. I then uh, took a liking to real estate and finance and then ended up kind of going down the financial path related to real estate generally, but including including hotels. And then I did my, my whole career. Morgan Stanley, you know, over 15 years, uh, a couple different companies focused as a generalist uh, real estate investor and, and real estate banker. And then uh, when I started here, I was focused solely on hotels and kind of back to my roots in a way, right? Because that's uh, how I started. So what what was the kind of restaurant that you were working at? What, what was the food style? Yeah, it was a, it was a, it's called Fenninger's uh, Family Restaurant. Uh, Murph Fenninger was the uh, proprietor. And it was, you know, steaks and veal and, a lot of saute, so I'd you know, do saute chicken dishes and shrimp scampi and that sort of thing. So then when you went to Cornell, I remember talking to a friend of mine who was at the hotel school and he was, was telling me about the food chemistry classes that I think you had to take. Like if you mix this thing with vinegar or how do you, did you, yeah. did you take some of those, yeah. those classes at the hotel they school? They have a whole track of food and beverage. You know, they have different concentrations. One of them is food and beverage. Uh, one of the most interesting classes though is one in which you have teams of four people and they have a restaurant within the Statler Hotel on campus, and you work on a project, which is to take over that restaurant uh, for one night. And so you design the menu, you design your theme, and then you take over the restaurant and you try to turn a profit. Um, you know, we, uh, we didn't turn a profit. <laughs> restaurant business is very difficult. One of the things I, I learned, I think it was the first day of my food and beverage 101 class was uh, Professor Norton was his name. He came came to us and said, okay, I'm, I'm going to teach you about the restaurant industry. First thing that you should know is 50% of all restaurants fail in the first year and 80% fail within five years. It's like, okay, great. What are we doing here? <laughs> good luck. <laughs> good, so good luck, guys. Yeah. So do you have, obviously in your portfolio, your, your hotels have some great restaurants. Uh, do you, oh, do yeah. you have a, f a favorite amongst your hotel restaurants that you all own? There's one standout. Uh, it's the Jack Dusty restaurant at the Ritz-Carlton in Sarasota, okay. Florida. And uh, Jack Dusty was the name of basically the uh, baker in the, you know, the gallows of the ship, the bottom of a ship, I guess. And uh, and they called him Jack Dusty because he's all, always full of flour, right? And so he's always cooking and baking. And they do a, a special uh, bread that they bring to the table, which is a uh, it's like a, a tin can. They cook the bread in the can and they bring it and it's just melts in your mouth. It's just fantastic. Oh, that's great. Yes. Yeah. And so what, um, well, maybe expand that a little bit. So you all have 16, 17 hotels? 16 before? hotels. That's all right. right. So, uh, so why don't you tell us about your most, the most recent acquisition? Yes. Yeah. It's a pretty awesome hotel. Yeah. The most recent acquisition is the Four Seasons in Scottsdale. It's, uh, we bought it for $267 million. Uh, actually, $267.8 million. Uh, 210 rooms uh, located in North Scottsdale. Uh, it's adjacent to the True North Golf Club, which uh, is a phenomenal golf club. And there's two uh, championship 18-hole courses there. 
And they have a very unique arrangement with the golf club where they have access to 50% of all the tee times at the golf club uh, for you know another 80 years. And so all the guests that go to the Four Seasons get to play golf and uh, enjoy the pool and there's a spa and uh, there's hiking trails right around there. There's something called Pinnacle Peak, which is uh, kind of a fun little you know hill to climb. Uh, so it's a fantastic uh, resort. We're very excited about it. It, it also generates a great profit, especially for a Four Seasons, which has a, a very high standard of service. And so it's uh, it's already exceeded our expectations. That's great. I think I told you my, my family used to live in that area, just a few miles north. And when uh, I had just gotten married, my wife and I, we had our little one-year-old, and I was trying to surprise her for the night to go take her out to a kind of a, you know, a night at the hotel. My parents only lived five miles away, so our little one-year-old would be fine. We'd go get her a spa treatment. We kind of have a, this kind of romantic weekend. And uh, I surprised her with it, and she said, I can't do that. And, uh, and I said, wait, you're turning down a weekend at the Four Seasons? And she said, yeah, I'm just, I'm not emotionally ready to leave my baby. It was our first. Aww. And um, so we just went to dinner and went, went home. Story. Yeah, it was. <laughs> so I, hopefully now that, uh, you know, now that you own it, you know, maybe I can convince yeah. my wife to go out there and we can you know, spend some time. But Well, Rob, let me ask you, is, is it, is it uh, typical that a guest has an opportunity to ask a question of the, sure. the host? Sure, go for it. Question. Have you, my question is, have you ever received a gift from your guest? No, so I give gifts in that we've got our Hotel 101 mug that you've yeah. gotten there, yeah. right? And that's, yeah. You can keep that. Thank you. you like, Thank seriously. You. But no, I have okay. not received a gift. And I walked in here today with a box. You did have a box. And you didn't ask any questions I didn't, about it. I didn't ask any questions. But it's a gift for you. All right. Okay, so here we go. First, This guess. is very exciting. So he's just trying to... I can move up. You know, I don't yet have kind of a list of rankings of guests, <laughs> you know, so, but you might be moving Bribery all the way up. Is definitely... Oh, it's like a thing. And oh no, I know what you that know is. Exactly what it is. All right, so here's the context. Ugh. This is for those who are listening, <laughs> this is a giant, giant red teddy bear that uh, is from Cornell University. That's it. And the reason is, is that every year for the last several years, Richard and I have a uh, fun competition, what we call the battle of CEOs, to figure out who is the master of the universe when it comes to CEOs. The first year we did it, we had a family feud sort of structure, and uh, Richard won it. No, no, no. Was that? No, no. You won the first, first year. One. was Jeopardy. Jeopardy. I won Jeopardy. Jeopardy. So yeah. Richard won the Jeopardy. Very, very close. I think it was on the last question. It was, yeah. Then last year we did a family feud. It's always on the last thing. On, on, on again, last one. Last one. And I won it on a kind of a controversial decision. I mean, it was it was yeah. pretty tight. Technicality. Technicality. <laughs> but I won it. And then we had one last week uh, on minute to win it. And again, on the last thing, Richard beat me. And the consequence is that I've got to put something from Cornell. Uh, in my office, you know, I'm a Princeton graduate, and so I had to put something from Princeton in his office, and so I guess this is what's going in my office for the next year. Hopefully, it's going right on your couch, and you can look at him all day. It's a little bit bigger than name, I was expecting. I name him. It's a big red bear, but you, you can, you can. I was him. expecting something. I don't know, maybe like 18 inches high. This is. I remember when I lost last year, and you came in with your Princeton mug. You said, "I'm just going to give you this Princeton mug because I don't want." 
to escalate. I things. didn't want to escalate it. <laughs> that was the word you used. <laughs> so uh, no, it has been escalated. Now it's been escalated. Yeah, it's escalated. Well, that's great. What does it feel? <laughs> sit right here. Great. All right. Well, that's going to be sitting on my. On, you can put them down. <laughs> sitting on my uh, couch for the next year. Looking forward to that. Uh, all right. So, uh, a question of. You've been now the CEO of Braemar for, you said six, almost seven years? Yeah, almost seven years. Yeah. All right, so I guess looking back, you've been different uh, paths in business. So what, I guess, do you have a certain piece of advice that was given to you, um, business wisdom that was passed on to you, whether it's from a professor, your father, you know, a, a colleague that kind of has stuck with you that you really try to focus on? Yeah, I, I guess it would be, and I don't, I don't know precisely who gave me this advice, but early in my career, it was um, you know, just be persistent. And, you know, everyone will encounter failures in their life. And uh, just keep going, be persistent, keep trying, keep working, keep moving forward. And uh, that served me well, right? You always hit various bumps in the roads, whether it be your personal life or your work life. Uh, but that doesn't mean that's the end of the road. It's just a bump, right? And then you just keep going. And so I've, I've used that. Well, and that's been, I think, particularly pertinent over the last few years, given what we had to deal yeah. with in, in our industry, trying to navigate giant hotels, shut down. Um, right. Now, but with that, what's interesting about the luxury segment is that it bounced back pretty quickly. You know, yeah. I, you know I've still got some hotels, and you, and you even have some in your portfolio, that haven't bounced back all the way to where they were, but then you've got others that are 30, yeah. 40, 50% higher maybe than where they were. Is that... What's your view on, is that sustainable? What's the future of luxury over the next few years? Particularly, people are thinking about, is there weakness in the economy? So what, what are you yeah. seeing in your hotels? Well, so our, our portfolio breaks down between resorts and urban properties. And it was, you know, at the, at the bottom of the worst part of COVID, we were at near zero occupancy. Uh, we had 11 of our 13 hotels completely shut down at that time, we had 13. And uh, when they reopened, Really within two months, the resorts bounced up to over 50% occupancy. And then the urban, you know, was a much slower recovery. Uh, you know, what we saw is, you know, this thing called revenge travel, right? It's a revenge travel, which people were, were locked up in their homes and they really wanted to get out and do things and have new experiences. And then also they were flush with cash, right? If we learned anything from COVID, it's no one really uh, was hurting for money during COVID, right? There was massive government stimulus packages, including helicopter money and including, um, you know, unemployment insurance and all these things. So people had a lot of cash. They had uh, a desire to, to travel and they frankly had the time, right? And, and even now, as people are still getting back to the office, uh, many of these companies have adopted hybrid work schedules where they allow work from home, which means four day weekend, right? So. Uh, the resorts bounced back. Last year was a huge year for the resorts. I think you can't raise rates any more than they've been raised. Uh, they performed so well. And so this year we're seeing that kind of stabilize, normalize, right? So the rates are maybe a little bit lower than last year. That's only because they were just so high last, you know, uh, this year, they were just so high last year. So uh, I think we kind of continue in this kind of normalization phase this year. Uh, I think after they're maybe down from last year a little bit, they'll probably stay at that level going forward. Um, in terms of a recession, uh, I don't think that's something that necessarily impacts our industry. Uh, you know, we haven't seen, you know, typically 
recessions, uh, the, the problem with the recessions is not just because GDP output is down, you know, point X percent, it's because people have lost their jobs, right? It's typically accompanied by unemployment. And we don't have that. We have, you know, 50 year low unemployment. And so as long as people are working, as long as people have, you know, savings and cash flow, they'll continue to, you know, stay at resorts. Right. Uh, meanwhile, we see the urban properties coming back. Office attendance is very highly correlated with hotel occupancy. And that's because when people are in their offices and they're having meetings and they're also traveling to other people's offices to have meetings and they're staying in hotels. And so we continue to see the urban side of things creep up. Yeah, absolutely. We're seeing that as well in a lot of markets that the, the cities are, are coming back. But again, there's, it's interesting because there are these kind of winners and losers. I mean, you're still seeing markets like San Francisco. You have an asset in Seattle. Uh, we have some assets in Minneapolis. And some mm -hmm. of these markets are just, they're, they're recovering, but it just is a yeah. slower pace than maybe some other That's more growing markets. That's a good point. You can't, you can't really generalize, right? And you can't say, well, the hotel industry is doing this, right? Because there are different markets, there are different property types, like everything is kind of moving at different speeds. Uh, one of the, the, the trends we are seeing is a massive demographic shift from the coastal cities, particularly the northern coastal cities of San Francisco and New York, but even to some extent Chicago, moving to the Sun Belt, including Texas. And uh, that's why when you talk about recession, it may not even come to Texas, right? Yeah. Texas has led the country in GDP output for you know, the last uh, at least three quarters. And uh, it's very possible that we see a, a, a short and shallow recession, but the state's GDP output continues to grow. Yeah, no, no I think you're right. I think you could have uh, a certain percentage of the states that are hit disproportionately just because of people aren't back to the office, people have moved, the nature of the industries that they're in, and then other parts of the country that there's no blip at all. That yeah. just kind of keeps going. Um, all right. So last question, a little bit more on the, on the personal side, you know, outside of, uh, being a luxury hotelier and being in the, in the real estate space, what's kind of your, your passion? What's, you know, you mentioned you love to cook when you were a kid. What, what do you yeah. do when you're, when you're out of the office, you're by yourself, you just want to unwind. What, how do you spend your time? Well, uh, one of the things I do enjoy is, uh, fishing. And I had a great experience last summer where I did a uh, fishing trip in Alaska. Mm. And I went with my father, who's 75, and my two boys. And we went for salmon and halibut, and it was a great you know, bonding experience as well, right? So you get the combination of family with fishing, and it was just kind of a wonderful time. And so were, I, were you uh, doing fly fishing, like salmon fishing? Were you, were you out? We did, we did it all. We did all. We did, we, first we uh, hit the ocean uh, for halibut and um, king salmon, silver salmon. Uh, that was bait fishing and uh, trawling. And then we did a couple of days on the river, uh, floating down the river with flies. And That's cool. What river were you on? That was, uh, oh, remember? I don't remember the name of it. I just uh, remember years ago when I was in high school, I went uh, fishing in Alaska for 10 days with my dad and we were on the Nushagak River. Okay. And I can remember, and it was interesting because I can remember we were on the mouth of the Nushagak, right? You know, and as the kings were running and we had a, a guide and he was in a, a rowboat. It was a little motorboat, but you're, you're kind of trolling. Yeah, so you're, yeah. but he was the, he was a rower from Cornell. Oh really? His nickname okay. was Mega. So he had these gigantic yeah. arms and he was rowing it and you'd catch these salmon. And I remember we, we caught some, I caught one salmon was over 60 something pounds. Wow, and I, and I rem, it was a big one. And I remember, cause when you're trolling, you know, you're little, the, your pole is kind of bouncing and, yeah. and me being kind of a bass fisherman, 
if you ever feel a bite like that, you yeah. set the hook. And yeah. I remember asking him, uh, how, you know, I keep feeling it pull. Like, how do I know if it's if I got hit? And he said, pretend like you got you, you caught a Volvo. I think is what he oh, said. Really? It was like, <laughs> and sure enough, when that fish would hit, it just your entire pole right. goes, and the fish goes running. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that thing will run like a hundred yards. Like yeah. it just go, and then you have to kind of reel it in. And anyway, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. It was I, I do remember the it was a Kenai River. So okay, it was a different river. But uh, yeah, it's great, great, great fun. And then it's yeah. it's always wild because it never gets dark in the summer either. So That's right, yeah, you're out there fishing and you realize it's ten thirty. Kind of dips and then it goes back up. <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, that's great. Well, uh, do you, so do you fish a little bit here locally here in Texas? Or? I have been up to uh, Texoma. Okay. And uh, for striper fishing? Yeah, yeah, for striped bass. And my uh, my dad's actually moving to Texas, and and he's an avid fisherman. So we're gonna. Do a lot of weekend excursions it looks that's like. great well yeah. there's some great fit places to fish out here so yeah well, cool well thanks richard for coming thanks on for having me, episode Rob. three and so thanks everyone for joining us for the third episode of hotels 101 and we will look forward to seeing you all next month with another great guest so have a great day and we'll talk soon